You're listening to the Vision Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are taking a closer look at the core values we are seeking to build in our community in Louisville. Amen. All right, so we're diving back into our our vision uh, series, and and last week we uh, talked about the importance of vision and how it brings unity, it brings clarity, it brings accountability uh, to a church, and how ultimately every church's mission statement is the same. It should be built off Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20 which is Jesus' great commission to go into the world and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we talked about how where a mission statement answers uh, why we exist, a vision statement essentially answers the question, where are we going? So our mission is to reach people with the gospel, to build them up as the church, and to send them into the world. And our vision is uh, then uh, to do this. Our vision is to fill up our city with gritty disciple makers. And that's the phrase that we landed on as pastors, as staff, as, 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 as members spoken to uh, where we feel the Lord is calling us for the next season. And we talked about last week how our goal was to fill up our city. It was to be a burning movement. It was to reject being passive, reject being stagnant, uh, to, to go as Jesus called us to go in the scripture. It was this, this call uh, uh, to uh, crash into heaven rather than to cruise. And then we looked at the word gritty and how gritty doesn't mean dirty. It isn't sinful. It's an attitude of resilience, of courage. It's an attitude that says, I want dirt under my nails. I want skin in the game. I'm committed and I'm going to be a disciple maker. I'm going to seek to live my life in a way that multiplies. I'm going to share my God-given resources with other people. I'm going to trust that God has not only saved me, but he's called me to be a part of his family to contribute. And so today we want to start unpacking the sentence each week for the next, uh, this week, next week, and the week after. We're going to take a phrase of it and just kind of work that phrase a little bit. And I want to do that today with the phrase, fill our city. And we're going to do that by going through three movements. The first movement in our sermon is going to look at this is a biblical theology of the city, and we're going to see God's heart for the city. What does the Bible say about the city? How does God relate to cities? Why do we want to fill up our city? The second uh, movement is we're going to look at our call to the city. As a church, what's our call? What's our next step to engage the city? And then the third part of that, we want to uh, uh, look and, and lock in and, and, and talk about how we're going to do this together how we're going to do this together. So let's dive in by looking at what to fill our city uh, means and how, how God's heart is for the city. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we see this cultural mandate given to both Adam and Eve uh, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And in essence, this is a, a picture of kind of the first uh, uh, reference of this, this, this big multiplication of, of, of human beings. And it's implied uh, that humans are going to uh, fill the world, fill the earth. And then we see the fall happen in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And in and, and Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam and Eve is married. And we see the, the, that as a result of their sin, uh, a curse enters into the world. And so there's brokenness. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the first murder in Scripture as Adam and Eve's child, Cain, commits murder. He kills his own brother named Abel. And we see that God banishes uh, Cain from um, his presence, uh, from the garden. But he doesn't leave Cain hopeless. 
He, he gives Cain some redemption and some common grace by allowing Cain to, to experience life amongst other people. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, we see the first mentioning of the city. It says, Then Cain became a builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. And so the first city in the Bible is mentioned in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. And it is built by a man who is broken, by a man who is sinful, by a man who killed, who murked his own brother. And then we go on to read uh, a couple verses later uh, this about the city. It goes on to say uh, that Cain had, a, uh, had children, and one of the uh, brothers' name was Jubal. And he was the father of all who played the lyre and the flute. And Zelah bore Tubal-Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. And Tubal-Cain's sisters was Nama. And the only reason I'm showing this is just to show early on in the Bible, we see that the city is created. And what is flowing out of the first city is art and music and culture. And cities are places of art, of, of, of music and culture. Cities are places where people come together and they use their gifts, hopefully for, for human flourishing. But oftentimes, cities take bad turns. And we see this throughout the Genesis narrative, that oftentimes when broken people get together, though they create beautiful things, um, more brokenness persists. It gets so bad that we know that, that God is eventually going to have to destroy the earth with, with rain and only leave Noah and his family. In Genesis chapter 11, we read these words about uh, a city called Babel. And it says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. So in Genesis chapter 11, we see that uh, humans come together, they're all together, they have the same language, and they decide in their own hearts to build a, a city. But notice what it says. They're building a city for themselves. They're naming it essentially after themselves, and they're, they're doing it for their own glory. They're seeking to build this tower to the top of the sky, which is a picture of self-salvation and self-glorification. And up until this point in Genesis, the theme of Genesis has been that God is creating the people for his own glory. That God is creating the people so that they can flourish and, and be a part of his kingdom. But in Genesis chapter 11, we see that mankind, they're building their own kingdom. And there's two kingdoms at work all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. It's the kingdom of God, the city of God, as Augustine, that great African theologian said, and the city of man. The city of God is seeking to bring glory to God. The city of man is seeking to bring glory to, it, to himself. And so we read uh, this narrative throughout the scripture. And in Jonah chapter uh, 4, uh, we all know, the, many of us know the story of Jonah, who's a prophet from God, who's Jewish. He's called to go to Nineveh to preach a message of redemption. He doesn't want to go uh, because it is a, a Gentile nation who has persecuted his people. And towards the end of the book, uh, God calls Jonah out because Jonah cares about this plant, this tree that was giving him shade. And God's like, yo, Jonah, you care about this plant, which you did not labor over and you did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, listen to this, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. 
And so God calls Jonah out. He's like, yo, you care about this plant that's giving you comfort. And you're getting on me and you're upset with me because I care about the city of Nineveh. And in the city of Nineveh is 120,000 people who don't know their right or their left, who have no idea of what it means to be in relationship with me. You care more about your comfort than me bringing salvation to broken people. And I begin to think about this this week in my own heart and the heart of our church. And my prayer is, is that, that we will see God's heart for people. That God has called us to fill up our city, not for the sake of filling up our city, but because our city is filled with people who don't know their right hand from their left in spiritual terms. Who, who don't know this great salvation that God has provided. Who don't know that God is a, a loving father who is so crazy about him that, that he sent his own son into the earth. And he allowed his own son to put on human clothes to, to, to die for them to take the punishment that they deserve. God's heart goes out to our city, a city of, of an estimated 1.2 million people, and many of those people don't know this great love. And God has saved you, and God has saved me, and God has allowed us to be born at this particular time in history to be alive and to be born through particular families and to live in particular places and to have particular jobs and to be members of this church at this particular time because he wants us to be mobilized to make a dent into Satan's kingdom and to bring people out of darkness into his marvelous light so that people may know this great love and may know their right hand from their left, metaphorically speaking. And my desire and our elders' desire is that we would be a church that's like a heart, that, that draws people in, that disciples them, and that pumps them back out into the city on fire for God and his mission, remembering that God has come and brought salvation to us and saved us, not so that we could be comfortable and cute, but so that we can be mobilized, fueled by his great love for us, fueled by the fact that he has saved us from our past, present, and future sins, that we are no longer condemned, fueled by the fact that we don't have to live in fear and condemnation and shame, but that we have been set free, brought alive in Christ, fueled by the fact that every spiritual blessing belongs to us and that he has given us everything we need through his spirit and that we would go out into this world week in and week out as gritty disciple-makers. And in order to do that, in order to do that, we have to in embrace the fact that we are a part of a larger story, a beautiful story of redemption, <laughs> and that we are a part of a greater kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of God, and that we are moving towards the most majestic and beautiful city that is to come. In Revelation chapter 22, God gives us a, a picture of the future downtown of heaven that if we just slow down and read the words that is promised to us, it should give us goosebumps. And it's this future picture of heaven in Hebrews chapter 11 that motivated the, the early patriarchs and, 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 and early uh, uh, women of faith in Israel to, to keep on keeping on. 
The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, the apostle Paul has this vision. It says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. See, it's biblical. Most downtowns have a main street. That's where they get it from. I'm just joking. All right, stay focused. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Beloved, beloved, this is a picture of what God has promised you and me. This is, this is not a, a, a picture of something that might happen. This is, this is what will happen for all those who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We will. We will one day walk in the new Jerusalem in a redeemed city where there will no longer be a curse of the fall, where there will no longer be arthritis, where there will no longer be sickle cell, where there will no longer be cancer, where there will no longer be a mortgage due, where we will sing it all together. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. And what we will be overwhelmed by his grace and his goodness. And there will be no need of night. In Jesus Christ, we will finally see face to face. And so we live in light of that day, which means that as a church, we need to embrace our call to this city, our call to, to not be a, a fortress. That's what we're not called to. We're not called to be a fortress. We're not called to live in a comfortable Christian bubble and to play it safe. But rather, we, we are called uh, to respond the opposite way that Jonah responds. We're called to go into Nineveh, not with our, our nose up saying, look at these people and I'm better than them, but, but remembering that if it was not for the grace of God, we would not know our left from our right hand. And even though we do know our left from our right hand, we still have, have brokenness in our lives that God is making to behold. And not only do we reject this notion of being a fortress, we reject this notion of being a mirror. We're not called to look like Nineveh. We're not called to, to, to mimic Babel. We're called to be a distinct people. Uh, Peter says it this way, that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people, a special people who are in the world but not of the world, who enjoy everything that is true, that is beautiful, and that is good within our city. But the things that are not and that are against God, we, we don't partake in. And we reject this direction and this notion of being tourists, people who are living to consume and to commodify. And we do this because of, of who Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2, it reminds us of who Christ is. It says, do nothing, Paul says, out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility we live our lives considering others as more important than ourselves. 
And everyone should, not, should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so Paul gives us this picture, and the only way that we can live our lives with humility and not uh, uh, live it uh, with, with us thinking that we're more important than others and only focusing on our own interests is if our identity is rooted in who Jesus Christ has made us to be. As if daily we are practicing those, 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 those disciplines and we're, we're slowing down to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ Jesus, that we have been given a new identity. Paul goes on to say, adopt the same mind or the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be ex- exploited. So he is equal uh, to God in in essence and nature, but he didn't exploit that. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's powerful. How do we know that Jesus is God? We know that he's God because he humbled himself to the point of death. How do I know that I'm not God? Because I don't have to humble myself to death. Death will humble me. <laughs> Jesus being God took on the form of man and submitted to death even though he controlled death so that he could defeat death, as Pastor Josh said, at his own game. But what this shows us is, is the power of our, our Savior who, who incarnates himself, who puts himself in human clothing to serve us because he loved us. And God's call to the church is to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus to put on on clothes of humility to not live only for our own interests but to be other person focused to live to serve our city there's three ways in which we do that the first is we take on the attitude of a learner a missional church is a learning church a missional people is a learning people It's the people who become interested in others just as we know that God is interested in us. That means that we slow down and we we become curious knowing that God has placed us in particular places. He's placed us in places where we live, where we work, and where we play. And that where we live, where we work, and that we play, we haven't been placed there by accident. Nothing is accidental about where you are right now in life. Nothing is by, by coincidence or by happenstance. And even though it may have come through some dark areas and dark stages in your life, the Bible tells us that God can use all things and work them together for his good. And we see testimony after testimony in Scripture of Christians who are put or believers in some really messed up situations who humbled and surrendered themselves to God, who was used by God to make a huge impact where they were. You don't believe me? Go home and, and talk to Joseph, Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Go home and and talk to to Moses. Go home and talk to to Esther. Go home and and spend some time with Amos, and you'll see that God uses people and puts people in particular places for his glory. And so God's invitation to you is to pause and to say, who has God placed around me that I can be curious about and that I can move towards? And just learn. Learn their story. Learn about their rhythms. Learn about their interests. Uh, learn about uh, what uh, they believe. 
And we don't do this because we see people as projects. We do this because we see the potential in every image bearer to have a relationship with the one and true living God and to one day be walking in that celestial city with us, saying, look how mighty God is. And so we learn. And after we learn, we take a leap. <laughs> we look at the possibilities that we have in our lives and we, we move towards people with humility and with courage. We slow down and we say, maybe I can learn my neighbor's birthday and bake them a cake or cookies. Or now that I know my neighbor's name, uh, 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 perhaps I can be intentional to make sure that I'm, I'm speaking uh, to them. Uh, perhaps I can take, uh, go out on a, a play date with my neighbor, meet them in the park, invite them over for brunch, or likewise. So we don't just learn to learn, we then take a leap of faith and we engage. And this is what Jesus models throughout the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 10, the Bible says that he looked on the crowds and he had compassion as he saw that they were, were sheep without a, a shepherd. This is what Paul does in Acts chapter 17 at the Areopagus where he goes and he engaged people who are in, in Greek culture with the gospel after observing their life and their idols and then being able to speak. And a leap is a leap of faith. It requires us to trust. David said in Psalm 18, verse 28 through 30, he says, Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. With you, I can attack a barricade. And with my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. And for some of us, getting to know a neighbor, stepping out of our comfort zone, engaging a, a coworker, letting someone know that we're a Christian and that we believe what we believe is the most terrifying thing in the world. But with God, you, you can take that leap of faith. You can face your deepest fears. And you can experience this comfort through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so inside your seat backs, um, if you look in your row, and those of you who are, are sitting in the front, uh, you can ask someone to hand it behind you. There is a, a small pamphlet that kind of models this attitude of learning, uh, of, of leaping um, that I'm speaking of. And this is a pamphlet that was completed by our Mercy team, along with our nonprofit, a nonprofit organization called Seed to Oaks, which helps local churches to reach their communities. And what they did is they basically um, did a, a community survey in which they surveyed over 100 people in Shelby Park. And they were curious to learn about um, um, uh, what uh, people felt in Shelby Park. They learned about their hopes, about their dreams, about their fears, um, about what they uh, would like to see in their neighborhood. And so I want to invite you, if you're here today, you can take this home, you can read it over. In the back there's a section where you can uh, jot down some notes and, and hopefully you can pray. But this is just an example of what you can do with your neighbors as well as what you can do in your own community by slowing down and observing and getting to know uh, the people around you. You also have here the history of Sojourn and how we moved into Shelby Park. You have some observations that are, are made about this, this wonderful community and, and, and city. Um, you also have um, 
in here some, some themes that people picked up in conversation with our neighbors. And we learn all of these things about our neighbors so that we can engage our neighbors. On page 13, you'll see some possibilities and some opportunities that we put forth. They took the information that they learned from, our, from neighbors in the neighborhood, and they said, here is how you as a church can step into the needs of this neighborhood so that you can bridge that gap. And so again, we take time, we slow down, we learn about our neighbors, we learn about our neighborhood so that we can be used by God to reach these needs, so that we can build bridges with people. And so we build these bridges so that we can actually cross those bridges and, and demonstrate the gospel in, in both word and deed, as we saw, see Jesus did. And so I want to invite you to take this home. But if you're a member of Sojourn, we talked about two things. We talked about how you can get plugged into our church um, uh, and, and you can serve in two ways. Serve where you are. We want to equip you and we'll be talking the rest of the series about what it looks like to become a gritty disciple maker. We want to equip you to do that where you live, work, and play. But we also want to equip you to serve in, area, in the areas where you worship and where God may be calling you in short-term missions. So as you read through this, in the next year, we want to challenge you to maybe pick two events or two ways in which you can serve uh, here in Shelby Park. I said last week, we want to be a church that is incarnational, that doesn't use Shelby Park in this space um, uh, simply to use it. But we want to be a church that is uh, engaged in this community. We don't want to build a church on top of the community. Amen? All right. The final point and the final thing I want us to look at today and the final movement is this call to lock arms. So we see that God has a, a heart for the city. He wept over Nineveh who was persecuting his own people, uh, the, the children of, of, of Abraham. He wept over them and he sent Jonah uh, to them. Um, ultimately, we know that he, he, he weeps over uh, the loss that, so much so that he sends his own son into the world. Uh, to solve their problem by offering salvation to all. Uh, but the good news is, is that we don't, we don't pursue our city by ourselves. We, we, don't, we don't pursue our city as lone rangers. Um, we, don't, we don't just do this depending on our own strength and our own ingenuity. God has saved us and he's made us a part of a community in which we get to do that together. So I'm going to invite Pastor Josh Rothschild up. And we're going to tell you guys about a key strategy to reach in our city and fill in our city, which is community groups. And this is one of the most important areas of our church. And so I want to ask you for the next 10 minutes to narrow your attention in and to listen to Pastor Josh as he shares. What's Thank up, you. brother? <laughs> so we think of this idea of being on mission, of evangelism, as a very in individualistic terms, right? Like we read Matthew 28, and we think, okay, I'm called to make disciples, to go to the nations, but we forget that Jesus is actually talking to a group of people. Like he's giving this command to go to the nations, to make disciples, to a group of people, and those disciples, those same men, would go on along with some other men and some other women, and they would be the people in Acts 1 and 2 that we see that the Spirit is poured out on, and these are the people that are present when Peter preaches the sermon. Uh, and, and this sermon, 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And I, I can't imagine what that would be like, 3,000 people come to know the Lord. But then after that, we see the church start to live together. And at the end of uh, Acts 2, in verse uh, 47 and 48, there's just these, these quick little lines. 
and it said that the, the church had favor with their city and people were being added to their number day by day. And I think it is because of that last part of being added to our number day by day is the reason why we are all here. Like the 3,000-person the gospel bomb sermon sounds amazing, which it was, but the reason why we are sitting here in this room is because of the everyday, day by day, living in faith by faith, where people are being introduced by Jesus. And I have an illustration. Yeah, one of my favorite illustrations that Josh shared. It's about aliens. Actually, I'm going to change this. Okay. Scratch that. <laughs> so, Jamal's getting nervous now. <laughs> All right, so let's say you come into this building. And let's say your name's Sarah. And I introduce myself. Say, hey, Sarah, my name's Josh. Welcome to Sojourn. We're in the coffee line. We're doing our coffee thing. And I say, Sarah, you would not believe what I found out last night. And Sarah's like, what did you, what did you find out last what night? What did you find out last night? I say, Sarah, birds are not real. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I see what you did. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean birds aren't real? I say, birds are not real. I said, the government killed them all, replaced them with drones. Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> and these birds are spying on us, right? And so at this point, Sarah's looking for exits, you know, ways to get out of here. And then she sees that I have my little pastor name tag. <laughs> uh, pastor name tag. And she's like, I have made a terrible mistake coming here today. Right? Let's say Sarah, she's like, okay, maybe there's this one bad apple. She kind of comes in the service, but she hears kind of people behind her, more people talking about robo-birds. She's like, what in the world is going on? And she comes in, passing the peace, she hears more people talking about robo-birds. Now here's the deal. I guarantee you that she still does not think robo-birds are a thing. To be clear, we do not believe robo-birds are a thing. <laughs> but when she gets back to her car, the first thing that she's going to do is she's going to pull out her phone and she's going to Google Robo Birds, Louisville, Kentucky. See, there's something powerful about the way community interacts that shapes the way what we believe. And I think we forget as Christians that what we believe in, in coming, to, coming across to people who have no church experience, an increasingly post-Christian world, increasingly naturalistic worldview, with what you see is what you get, that when we talk about Jesus, sounds just like what I just said about robo-birds. Like, think about it. We believe that there was a man, mm. and we believe that he's God, but he had no biological father. Yeah, yeah. Like, we believe that this man grew up, and he literally wa walked on water. Think about that. That he took some bread and some fish, and he somehow tore them up, and as he did it, like, they multiplied, and he feed everybody. And the kicker, and the kicker is that he died. He was dead for three days, and then he came back. This is crazy to people who, who are not Christians, who have no experience with the church. Now, let's say Sarah is not here. She doesn't walk through these doors. And let's say Sarah is one of your neighbors. She lives a couple houses down, uh, and Sarah's a single mom. And it's one of those things where you kind of know her situation, but you don't know her because you've lived here for three years and you've never introduced yourself. And now it's awkward to like introduce yourself. It's like, hey, I'm your neighbor, 
we've seen each other for three years and we never actually said anything. But you see her. You recognize her. And there's something about this sermon, what Pastor Jamal says, that compels you to go knock on that door and just introduce yourself. Because like he said, it is not a coincidence that you live next to Sarah. So you say, Sarah, group of my friends, we're watching the cards tonight. You should come over. You and your boys are going to have lots of other kids. It's going to be fun. So Sarah says, yeah, all right, okay. Sarah comes over. She meets other people in your community group. She, she sees her boys running around with other kids in the CG. She's like, wow, these people are very genuine. You keep inviting her to stuff. Eventually you see, you recognize the needs that she has. Like you see that sometimes the grass gets a little too high. And you say, we can help you with that. It's not a big deal. We can mow your lawn. You think, man, it would probably be difficult for a single mom to change her oil, to get out of work, to go to the Jiffy Lube or whatever. And we know how to do that. We can go, we'll go to uh, Costco, get the oil. We'll jack your car up. We'll do it. We'll take care of it for you. And then one day Sarah gets a call and her dad is diagnosed with cancer. And, and you're the one that Sarah talks to because you've earned her trust. She tells you that she's fearful for the life of her father. And your group is the one that comes around her. Like your group of friends, your community group is the one who steps in and watches the boys. Your community group is the one who comes in and, and provides meals and watches the boys while she can be in the hospital. And what Sarah finds herself at is she still is not sure about this whole Jesus thing. But you know what? She hopes it's true. And what has happened is the gospel has gone from impossible to improbable to desirable. And she's thinking, you know what? There's something about the way these people interact together that I hope what they believe is true. I, I hope that there is a God who sees through the stigma of being a, a, a single mother and loves me as a daughter worth dying for. I hope that there was a man named Jesus who, who knows all the fear, shame, and guilt that I've been carrying around my whole life, but he, he is willing to take that all from me. I, I hope that is true. And see, I think sojourn, when we realize the power that we have in just simply living as a community, living where we are rooted, being sent to where we are, where we live, work, and play, we will begin to see powerful things happening, things that we won't notice at first, just the day by day, people being added to their number, but people's eternities will be changed. And I think when we start doing this together, we will begin to see the vision of filling our city with great disciple makers. That's, that's when we're going to see that happen. Excellent. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, so Josh, talk to me about just your dream. You know, three to five years from now, where, where are we headed with community groups? How do, we, how do we get there? Yeah. Well, right now we have about 40 community groups at Midtown. And we've organized them into eight regions. And we want to group them regionally because of like what you're saying, we want to be learners of our city and we want to be learners of our neighborhood. And, and each, each neighborhood is unique, right? The needs of one the dreams, the fears of one neighborhood are very different than others. But, the, but where we're at right now is we have eight regions for the whole entire city. So there's one region that is uh, Old Louisville, Parkway Village, and Ottoman Park. Okay, that's a very big region. We have one region uh, uh, with our, when I was recruiting our coaches, I said, hey, uh, I want you to oversee the groups in the Outer Loop. And they said, great, what part of the Outer Loop? And I just said, the Outer Loop. 
And, and, and their hesitancy shows like this is a massive region. And so my, my hope and my dream is that in three to five years, we're going to go from eight regions to 14. And that way, one region is not trying to reach, you know, from, from Old Louisville to Ottoman, but we have Ottoman, knowing what their neighborhood, need, the needs are. And, and what's going to happen is going to be beautiful. I mean, we did uh, the fall festival yesterday. But, but what would it look like if the different community groups that, that already meet in Shelby Park, what if they did that on a smaller scale another time? What if they threw block parties? What would, what would the block party part, uh, type thing look like in another region? And so in order to get there, in order to get to the place where we have 14 regions of groups communicating and collaborating together, we need to have our groups multiply and sent to areas of the city where we don't have anyone. And in order to do that, we need to have a culture in our group's ministry of raising up apprentices. And I'm going to be talking a lot about that uh, at our sinks and different things. Uh, but that is, that's really my prayer. That's good. Uh, what's the next step for the average person that's here today? They yeah. hear this and they're like, practically, how can I help? I want to be a part of filling up the city. I don't want to be a fortress. I don't want to be a mirror. You know, um, I, I want to be a part of, yeah. of this burning movement. So I kind of think of three groups of people here. So one group are the people who are not connected to a community group right now. Uh, I was kind of running the numbers, and I think in this room, about 45% of you are in a community group right now. Now, given the past three to four years we've had as a church, if you've been around, you know we've been through some stuff. And I actually think 45% is pretty good. I'm really encouraged by that. But I want that to go up. And so if you're not in a community group and you're hearing this, you're hearing Jamal and you're like, I'm all about it, the first step is to get into a community group. And the way you do it is super easy. You have connect cards on your seat back and just fill that out and then go to the back table and, and hand it to somebody uh, and we'll take care of the rest. Second type is for those 45% of you who are in a community group right now. Um, if, you, if you're doing the math and you're thinking, okay, so 65% of the people are in this room right now are not in a community group, and we want all of them to be in a community group, that means that this fall we're going to have a lot of visitors. So the best thing that you can do is when a, a new visitor comes and checks out your group, be hospitable, be warm, meet, uh, get their name, get their number, and don't assume that it's all on the group leader to do that. Like, it's not on the group leader, it's, it's all of our job to, to make a hospitable open space. And then thirdly, if you are a group leader, uh, the next step is to come to the next uh, CG Leader Sync, which should hopefully come as no surprise to everybody. But this is open to group leaders, this is open to apprentices, and open to anybody who has any desire about anything related to community groups. Uh, so this is going to be on a Wednesday night, October 16th. Um, it'll be in this room. Uh, so I want you to go, I want you to bring your apprentice and anybody else who has interest. So uh, people go from believing something is improbable to desirable mm -hmm. to possible. That sounds like a miraculous work of the Spirit, and mm -hmm. we're praying that the Lord will fill us all up with that. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. <laughs> In Acts chapter 2, uh, what Josh uh, referenced, it talked about the, other, the believers getting together, and there's this 
uh, this great relationship happening in all these different homes. People were on fire for Jesus, uh, even in the midst of persecution. But the Bible says that they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. And more than likely what this breaking of bread uh, pointed to was not just the physical sharing of meals, but also a very important meal in the Christian life, which is a meal that we call communion. Communion reminds us of our union with Christ. It helps us to remember what he did for us and how he came to seek and to save that which is lost. It reminds us of, of our Savior's grit and his commitment. So here we give thanks and we break bread. We drink wine or juice. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we do this week in and week out to remind ourselves that we are not tourists, but we are pilgrims, sojourners, and we're not alone. We're part of a family of believers that are all seeking to live on mission for Jesus and crash into heaven and not cruise. Those of you in the front, you can come to the front to take communion. Those of you in the back, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is to my left. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness towards us and your grace. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. I thank you in advance for the fact that uh, three years from now, we're going to look back and say you have helped us to fill up the city um, with gritty disciple makers, uh, people who are running to the action, who's not afraid to get dirt under their nails, who don't want to play it safe, uh, people who are empowered by your Holy Spirit, who even in the midst of their brokenness are saying yes to your will and yes to your way, people who are creating beautiful art, using their gifts to serve others, collaborating with other ministries and churches through the city to see your name, your son's name, exalted and glorified. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.